1: Good morning. Happy Friday. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in one more day for George Brockler here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Thanks so much for joining us, being a part of the program. 303 696 1971 is our telephone number if you'd like to join in to the festivities. You can also text into the show on the 710 KNUS app. On your smartphone, a lot of moving parts going on right now as the war continues between Israel and Hamas. We will get expert insights in the seven o'clock hour from retired Brigadier General Doug Slocum. And I'm looking forward to getting his perspective should be some powerful insights you will not want to miss. In addition, we will be joined at the bottom of this hour by Michael Barone. He is the senior political analyst at the Washington Examiner and a longtime guru of politics. I call him the one-man political almanac. He did co-author the American Political Almanac, and we will talk with him about, among other things, the debacle in D.C., where there is still a leadership struggle going on. Yesterday, we spent a lot of time talking about this issue of Jim Jordan running to be Speaker of the House. Would he become the guy that Republicans put into that position? When we got off the air shortly after, it was said that Jordan had accepted the idea of and was wanting to move forward with the idea of having Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry be the interim speaker for the time being and then there was a lot of pushback from conservatives now Jim Jordan at this moment is addressing the media on an upcoming speaker vote I believe that is scheduled today Billy can we dip into that for just a moment
2: the weekend and try to wear your like
1: Question from Chad Pergram, of Fox News.
2: Ten to fifteen votes. We stayed the same. We picked up a few. We lost a few. I think the ones we lost can come back. So uh, look, there's been multiple rounds of votes for Speaker before. Um, we all know that. I just know that we need to get a Speaker as soon as possible so we can get to work for the American
1: people. Thank you. Another question asking about writing this out through the weekend, and, and that's a big question. Will they write it out and you're ma- keep going? You're, you're, the making the,
2: you're making the case for why we need to get the house open so we can evaluate the package. We can't do that. Can't vote on that. Can't pass anything in that uh, until we get the house open. So I got to see the package. But we certainly need to help Israel. Um, but I got to see the package. But again, we can't do that if the house isn't open. All the more reason why we need to get the house open as soon as possible.
0: So.
1: What do you say to the people? We're just jumping in, but it sounds like he's digging his heels in and wants to keep going and going and going. That we need you know, to get this quickly.
2: I got 200 votes, the speaker-designee from, from my colleagues. Um, the sooner we can get this accomplished, the better for the American people who expect us to work for them and for our friends and allies like the great state of Israel. Again, Jim Jordan is live doing a press conference at D.C. We, we, had a, we had a good conversation, and we'll continue to do that. But uh, as, I, as I point out, the fastest way to get to work for the American people is to elect a speaker so the House can be open and we can get things done. I'll take, I'll take a couple more, a couple more. Asking about Ken Bach. Just that. Just. That, that it, think right? I think there were all kinds of problems with the 2020 election, I've been clear about that. My my intention with, in forwarding the email was an argument made by former Inspector General for Donald Rumsfeld, accomplished lawyer who laid out an argument from the Federalist Papers. I forwarded it on to him. That that was all it was. <laughs>
1: uh we could dip out from Jim Jordan. I think that's a good place to wrap up our uh hearing of what's going on in his press conference because it was a question about Ken Buck and Ken Buck has concerns about the email that Jim Jordan sent to Mark Meadows regarding Mike Pence and uh was forwarding the email legal in, uh, of the legal perspective um, and also was asked about the, oh, what was that, uh, the second part of the question, um, just in general, his view on January 6th, I think, and the, the elections. Um, and he, really there was a non-answer there, which is something that you'd expect. He doesn't want to address it. It was more dodging it. He just said, oh, I forwarded an email, and that was all that it was. Um, I don't – I don't know – how things proceed here vis-a-vis the number of times they decide to go through and vote it seems like they are digging their heels in and Jordan is now committing in essence to let me go ahead and Keep having these votes nonstop because we need to get a speaker ASAP, put somebody in there. That's going to be me and we're going to keep at it. And that clearly is just uh, I I think that there's a presumption there that he can do it. That he can eventually sew this thing up and let's just have all the votes that McCarthy did. And I don't know how well that works. And they asked a question about Ken Buck, who has concerns over what happened on the House floor on January 6th, when it comes to uh, of, of 2021, when it comes to Jim Jordan. And there are other issues. I mean, that's the one media wants to focus on, for sure. But there are plenty of other issues and many other Republicans who are opposed to Jim Jordan. And the idea that they're going to keep going nonstop with votes, I just don't see it. The weekend plan is to elect a speaker. Maybe he'll do it. Maybe he'll pull that out. But right now, we are in the middle of a war between Israel and Gaza. You've got the war that's ongoing in Ukraine. You've got a fiscal cliff situation where you need to get these budgets passed and move ahead and uh, frankly avoid a government shutdown that Republicans will get blamed for if it happens. So you do need to get this sorted out quickly. He's right about that. The weekend plan is to elect a speaker. Okay, but is that going to be successful? Will it be him? Will he be willing to back down at some point if it's clear that he cannot secure the votes and maybe there's another path where you can find a consensus Speaker of the House. And maybe that is Patrick McHenry, maybe that isn't. I understand that Democrats might need to be on board with a pathway to, uh, at least supposedly, would need to be on board with the pathway for Speaker McHenry or Speaker Pro Temp McHenry to temporarily serve as an interim Speaker. I don't think that's the case if Republicans would just get their act together and agree, hey, let's go ahead and make this a thing for the rest of the year. Now, it's precedent setting and it's historic. It's not ideal, but I still think that it could be the best way forward if the effort is simply to focus on Jim Jordan and drilling that one home. And not having any wiggle room for somebody else. I don't see how this advantages Republicans politically either. And there's a perception here of GOP House dysfunction, that they can't get it together even to select a leader, a Speaker of the House, So then how are they going to govern? I think that is a legitimate concern. Agree? Disagree? 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. I think it is a legitimate concern for the American people to look at the Republican House right now and say, you guys can't even get a leader. And here's the bigger problem. Set aside the politics of it. If you can't select a Speaker of the House, how can you get work done in Congress? That is to say, being Speaker of the House is a job that's like herding cats. How are you, if you're a weak speaker who barely squeaks by and or forces your way through or what have you, how are you going to be able to lead the Republicans moving forward in a real-world way, not just in the sense of the politics and how people look at it from the optics of it all? How can you actually lead and what would prevent what happened from to, to McCarthy 10 months into his speakership from happening to Jim Jordan, especially if in the case of McCarthy, he had more support in that motion to vacate than Jim Jordan does in his bid to become Speaker. Now, let me restate, of course, what I said yesterday about Jordan. I like him. I'm cool with him as speaker. I have a few questions about his ability to lead, even more so now after these delays and the inability to to rally folks at a time of a real need to get things moving in the House. If he can do it, great. And I hope that the Republicans will be able to rally together and get things done. But at this point, I just don't see the strategy to it. And I'm concerned about the implications of going forward with additional votes, specifically if it's tailored toward Jim Jordan as the only guy. Now, If there's an openness to other people and they can find a consensus person over the course of this weekend, then maybe, just maybe, it'll be worth it. But I don't know. It's irritating, frustrating to see the Republican-controlled House of Representatives that could be taking action on the budgets, that could be taking action on supporting Israel. And to see them instead bogged down in weeks of debate and dissension over leadership, I I just don't know where you go from here. I mean, the the next year is probably not going to be much better for Republicans if they can't even heal wounds enough to find... Some sort of a consensus leader. I hope that they'll do that this weekend and that they'll find somebody, whether that ends up being Jim Jordan or somebody else, but that it has the potential, whatever they decide, to move ahead, to move ahead. We'll see what happens. 303-696-1971. You can text into the show on the 710K and U.S. app on your smartphone, and we'll talk in a bit with Michael Barone. The other big news that we will be covering, of course, President Joe Biden gave his speech last night on Israel, but not just Israel, also Ukraine, where he made a moral case for supporting both Israel and Ukraine. But he also did some other things that were rather curious to me. There's also the controversy of whether or not it was wise for him or the right thing for him to bridge together Israel and Ukraine in a speech. Now, I think from a tactical standpoint, or maybe it's strategic is the better word in this case, I think it was probably a smart move to work Ukraine into it. I think he spoke a little too much about Ukraine, but we haven't heard the president really address why the American people have been supporting our Ukrainian allies in their war against an aggressive Russia. We haven't seen Biden bring that about. In a in a public context and really make that case until last night. And I think when you have an opportunity, the eyes are on you over Israel. Work that in a bit so you can say, okay, we've got two wars that we are not ourselves directly involved in as far as sending troops and having military forces on the ground, that kind of thing in Israel and in Ukraine. So here's why we are involved in both of those conflicts. But focus on Israel. We've got a lot of clips that we'll break down today on the program from Biden's speech last night. I do think he underemphasized Israel and that he diluted the crisis that we have in this country that we spoke a great deal about yesterday with Rabbi Jonathan Hausman about Anti-Semitism and the skyrocketing, the surge of anti-Semitism in American society right now, in our world. It is astonishing to me to see the amount of anti-Semitic incidents that we are seeing now. And Biden goes in there and mixes in discussions of Islamophobia. I don't think this was the time to do that. Work in Ukraine a little bit, fine, but focus on anti-Semitism and strongly condemning anti-Semitism unequivocally and focus on that in this moment where we are seeing it dramatically increase, especially on college campuses. We have seen posters being put up for kidnapped women and children in from Israel. And those posters are being taken down on American college campuses by those with sympathies for Hamas. Unacceptable. And that needs to be resoundingly condemned and not watered down with other things being thrown into the mix. But we've got a lot to say about that. We've got a lot to hear from you about that coming up and to hear from Biden with his clips uh, we've got from the speech. Again, 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. You can text into the show on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone, name in town, name in town, if you wish to text in. In addition, email me twenty four seven three sixty five. 365 You can go to the 710 KNUS website and log on to my show's page. That's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Of course, running every Saturday morning from 6 until 9. Or you can log on to my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is E-Z. Now, one quick programming note for you. As we get things rolling, we'll be back with Michael Barone here in a moment. News Talk 710 KNUS is pleased to welcome... Brandon Tatum to the 710 lineup. Brandon is a nationally syndicated radio host and former Tucson, Arizona police officer who's been featured on Fox News and Newsmax and has a huge social media presence. Join us for the Officer Tatum Show weekday afternoons from 4 to 7 starting Monday, November 6th only on News Talk 710 KNUS. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, filling in for George Brockler, right here on Denver's Local Talk Leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you, in for George Brockler today, News Talk 710 KNUS, 303-696-1971, is our telephone number when we have opportunities to call in. But the best way for the moment to join into the conversation is via the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. Good to be with you this morning, as always. And it is quite a time politically. I have never, I can't recall anything like this as far as disorganization, which is maybe a nice way of putting it. In the House like this, where they can't sort through the political party that's in charge of the House of Representatives can't sort sort through their leadership issues to find somebody. We just heard a little bit of Congressman Jim Jordan, who's vying to be Speaker of the House, his press conference, where he indicated they're going to go through the weekend with consistent votes after having failed twice on Tuesday And Wednesday, staggering to think about where we are and the amount of issues that are on the plate for Congress, and yet the Republicans can't move ahead. Let's talk about this and much more with America's one-man political almanac, co-author of the American Political Almanac, in fact, and a new book that is coming out in November, which we will tease here in a bit, called Mental Maps of the Founders. He is the senior political analyst at the Washington Examiner. His name is Michael Barone, and he rejoins me here on 710 KNUS. Michael, welcome back. It's good to talk with you, my friend.
0: Well, it's good to be with you, uh, Jimmy. It seems that the altitude has not uh, negatively affected your judgment very much. You're (laughs) you're continuing to uh, suffer, you know, to to prosper physically from... uh, um, the vigor of it, required to uh, navigate at five thousand feet above
1: sea level. Yeah, so I there. know. Oh, don't I know it? And especially when I go and I play some harmonica, which I do at this elevation, it certainly adds a little bit uh, into the into the challenge at this elevation. But I do love it, and things are pretty decent here in the mile high city. So, uh, Michael. Is disorganization too nice of a word or disorganized too nice of a word for the Republican caucus right now in the House? Have you ever seen anything like this historically?
0: Well, uh, the answer is uh, I think I have seen something historically like this when I was covering the 1850s. But, uh, you know, we yeah, that was about,
1: a tense time um, for you. Right. Big deal. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The parties. Listen, the parties uh, sometimes form circular firing squads. The Republicans, House Republicans seem to have a dodecahedron right now. And I think what's really happened is that we're watching um, a political norm uh, disappearing. Uh, being violated over and over again. The norm was that when you voted in your conference, that's the Republican term, or in your caucus, the Democratic term, um, you supported one candidate or another for speaker. Your candidate may have lost. When you came out of it, you voted for uh, the candidate for speaker that the majority had supported. You just didn't dissent. Now, we saw some erosion of that in the late 1990s when some members uh, declined to vote, said they wouldn't vote for Newt Gingrich again. Um, that forced him out after the Republican Party suffered minor losses in 1998, rather than the expected gains. Um, we've seen it uh, eroded to some extent with, democrats sometimes in significant numbers uh but not decisive numbers voted against nancy pelosi they could go back to their district and say hey i'm a moderate i didn't vote for nancy pelosi whatever um but now we've seen uh uh with successive members of the house we've seen eight members vote essentially to depose um, um kevin mccarthy Uh, We've seen Steve Scalise refuse even to come to the floor because he obviously did not have – he had many Republicans not ready to vote for him. And we've seen with Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Appropriations Committee, voting against him, one of the grandees of the House of Representatives, Uh, not just somebody from the the right-wing fringe of the party or somebody representing a Democratic-leaning district. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the powers of the party. So, uh, she felt free to cast her vote against, uh, against Jordan. And, uh, now he seems bent on showing over and over again, that he's capable of losing, uh, support from vote to voter, which is at least what's happened so far. We'll see if that continues. Um, uh, it's a pretty, uh, kind of a suicidal thing for a party. It seems like the Republican Party uh, or significant parts of it doesn't have a real desire to uh, participate in the making of public policy. The position they're in politically means that they don't have it, but that they're just not interested in, uh, in, they're interested in flailing out in all directions. One result may be if we end up going to Patrick McHenry, the sort of designated fill-in speaker under the 2003 law and by uh, Kevin McCarthy's designation, if he continues, we may be moving more towards uh, what you'll see in the British House of Commons, and I think in the uh, House of, Com- you know, the lower legislative body and other British Commonwealth countries, where the speaker isn't a partisan figure the speaker in uh, in Britain is neutral uh, The speaker in Britain hmm. is, uh, gets reelected without major party opposition um, often you you know you have a, a conservative uh, party choosing a labor member as the speaker because they think that individual will be fair and ins- loyal to institutional norms um, that was tested when the speaker took a partisan role against uh, uh brexit uh, but he was uh, is eventually eased out under yeah. term limits uh and um so maybe we're going in that direction but uh, it's something different as i say the 1850s uh you had multiple ballots Um, You had the death of the Whig Party, the rise and fall of the American or Know Nothing Party, huge splits in the Democratic Party and the emergence of the Republican Party leading to a civil war. Um, We're not quite in that dire straits, whatever happens to Jim Jordan's bid.
1: So let's break down a few of the things that you were just discussing. Michael Barone, senior political analyst at the Washington Examiner, I'm looking at One aspect of this, which is the notion of the in the past, with the exception of, say, 1850. But in the modern era, we have mostly had these discussions about a speaker sewed up in the back room. Then they come out and they have the vote and they're ready to move ahead. Certainly, Nancy Pelosi would have never brought forward any speakership vote unless she had the votes if she had any doubt she wouldn't have done it she would have sorted that out right and you look back in the 1990s with newt gingrich and they had their vote it was clear behind closed doors he didn't have the support anymore so he bowed out and they moved ahead with a new speaker direction uh, wasn't that hastert uh, but when we look at yeah when we look at that dynamic how do you see the republicans today sort of breaking that traditional norm and then in a moment, maybe we'll talk about the political implications of that, too.
0: Well, it it, it just uh, kind of fascinates me. It just shows that uh, one of the things is they don't uh, – they, they haven't had leadership that's been able to instill a sense of common purpose um, for whatever that says. Uh, the Democratic Party under – you know, Pelosi has been their party leaders. Uh, from 2003 until she bowed out at age 82 after the 2022 election. Um, The the Democratic Party has had more cohesion and certainly has it now. Um, And, uh, you know, it's... um, I, I think some of it came out in the period when Ted Cruz over in the Senate in 2013 newly elected, was telling House Republicans, if you just don't vote for a budget, we can force them to, um, you know, we defund Obamacare, we can force them to get rid of Obamacare. Well, that wasn't going to work with the Democrats, then a majority in the Senate, and with the president having a veto. Um, and uh, But he got people encouraged, to, you know, thinking they were on the outs and so forth. Um, This has been exacerbated, obviously, uh, in the Trump years by the emergence of significant policy differences among some of the Republicans. Um, But uh, there just seems to be a lack of fellow feeling here, um, which is not something I would have predicted starting in 2010,
1: 2011,
0: uh, 2012. But
1: here we are. Well, Michael, one of the things that Is striking is, look, I mean, you you had McCarthy ousted by eight Republicans, and now Jim Jordan has the support of fewer Republicans than McCarthy did at the time. When we look at that aspect of this, I, I think that's notable. And especially given, as you 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 have now a pledge from Jordan, we're going to keep going into the weekend. Yesterday, that McHenry idea of let's put him in as the interim speaker was originally something that he floated. Jim Jordan floated. Some conservative supporters of his got upset about it, thought that it was a terrible idea. In fact, here's an example of that: Matt Gates, the congressman who brought the resolution, the to, the motion to vacate. The speaker with McCarthy, here's what he said yesterday. I'm against Speaker Light. I'm against Bud Light. I believe it is a constitutional desecration to not elect a Speaker of the House. We need to stay here until we elect a Speaker and if someone can't get the votes, we need to go on to the next person, but but twisting and torturing the Constitution to empower a temporary speaker is having a speaker light that is not constitutionally contemplated is deeply infirm and I will do everything possible to stop it. Uh, of course this is the same guy who's the f- key reason that we don't have a Speaker of the House currently anyway, but Michael, what do you make of that, especially historically? You were just talking about the idea, oh, you could have maybe a nonpartisan figure or some who's less partisan, who's more shepherding the process in the House as opposed to the inner workings of can we get legislation through, for example, more like – uh, the president of the Senate, in a sense, is is what I took away from that. Where in the Senate you have the majority leader drive the legislation forward, and if the president of the Senate is called in, that's just more. In that case, it's more ceremonial, or it's to break a tie-breaking vote. This would be a little bit more because it's day to day, but it wouldn't be a policy-making position in the same way that it has been. I don't think Gates is right. Constitutionally, that there's some constitutional requirement for the Speaker of the House to do these things that he's saying are necessary.
0: Well, I don't think you know if Matt Gates is your authority on the Constitution. It is not. uh, You're pretty. You've been pretty desperate search of an authority on the Constitution.
1: Very fair Um, point.
0: I'd I'd advance the uh, the name of William Pennington. William Pennington. Uh, After multiple ballots, was elected Speaker of the House following what we would call the 1858 round of elections. They actually held them around the calendar. Uh, And uh, he was a Whig. The Whig party was basically in the process of disappearing and pretty much had disappeared. But uh, it hadn't disappeared from William Pennington's district in New Jersey um, and, uh, so he was uh, elected speaker of the house. Uh, the house did not do very much legislation. And in fact, in the period of which it was serving up to March 4th, 1861, uh, it saw the dissolution of the union. Um, so, um, that's not a really happy precedent, uh, for somebody who is not capable of uh, delivering a majority. Um, uh, but that's, you know that's the sort of situation where we're at, um, where um, you know basically any number of Republicans from different wings and, and positions of political seniority in the in the party feel morally uh, free to uh, withhold their votes from the Speaker and continue this situation. So um, you know it's uh, they're making. They're making the sort of arguments that used to be made behind the scene in the uh, upshot toward the um, secret votes that are, were taken at both the, at the Democratic caucus at the Republican conference. Um, and there would be, you know, whisperings of this with come into the papers and reported sometime. You know, Jim Jordan is sort of mean and nasty to other people. Uh, Steve Scalise is a little bit of a squish on this issue or that issue. Uh, arguments like that that would be made at people, uh, those were arguments that were generally considered irrelevant yeah. after the caucus had decided. I mean, <laughs> you know, in, in in December, November, December 1976, the Democrats had 291 members, um, and they had a vote for a majority leader. There was no opposition to Tip O'Neill uh, becoming the speaker. The new speaker, Carl Albert, the previous speaker had retired from Congress, uh, and it was a, it was a one vote margin. Jim Wright beat Phil Burton by one vote. Um, Phil, it never crossed Phil Burton's mind. That he would, that he would this, go to the floor. This really... different
1: Yeah, this is fundamentally a shift in how things are done, and I think it's to the detriment of Republicans to not be able to sew this up behind closed doors. And I don't mean that behind closed doors in a negative way. That's what you need to do. This isn't the kind of issue that you have and hash out publicly. Unfortunately, the computer will be cutting me off very shortly so we have to leave it there I want to wish you the best of luck though on your forthcoming book Mental Maps of the Founders publishing being published by Encounter Books, a series of six essays on the geographical orientation of six of the founders it sounds utterly fascinating and has the esteemed endorsement of Gordon Wood as you let me know one of the great historians of colonial and early Republican America fascinating read I'm sure looking forward to it. Michael Barone, thank you so much for your time today we really appreciate it
0: okay thanks for letting me be with you appreciate it thank, thank you. you
1: always appreciate it as well once again michael barone senior political analyst at the washington examiner joining us jimmy sangenberger in for george brockler overdue for a break here on news talk 710 knus hey jimmy sangenberger back with you in for george brockler News Talk 710 KNUS, always appreciate the analysis and insights from Michael Barone. Um, Didn't have as much time as I would have liked with him. He always has a lot to say, and he's one of those guests that's so brilliant and has so much knowledge that you're like, I want to jump in, but I don't want to jump in, so I'm going to wait and let him continue his point But, of course, he's got a lot to say so that it limits the questions that you can get in. But the fundamental key point that we took away from Michael is that the last time you had until Kevin McCarthy in January of this year, of course, that you had multiple votes for a speaker in this kind of a situation was just before the Civil War in the 1850s. Let that sink in for a moment. The last time a political party couldn't get it together was in the 1850s. In 1998, Newt Gingrich gets ready to continue his speakership and he finds out, guess what? I don't have a support. I can't move forward. We got to do something different. I believe it was Denny Hastert that replaced him. And... I look at this and I think, okay, that's significant because guess what? When you can't get it done, in this case, behind closed doors, this is a reasonable thing to to sort out behind closed doors and then come out in public and have your vote and move on. When you can't get it together like that, what does it show the American people? That you can't govern, that you're dysfunctional? Oh, we can rationalize it all we want and say this is about principle And we want to have the right policy approach. And so why not stop it midstream and reset the ship and so forth with a new speaker and power through. And we're going to get Jim Jordan. By golly, he's going to be the guy or whoever it is. Ten months in to the Congress with wars afoot, allies in need. And a budgetary situation where if we have a, we we might have a, a, a government shutdown, which normally I'm not concerned about, but this is the wrong reason for a government shutdown because Republicans can't, as leaders of the House, get it together. The perception of dysfunction is the undoing of a political party, at the very least in the short term. And the undoing of an institution in the short run. Look at the dysfunction of the Denver School Board and the perception there, which is an accurate one, and how that has derailed how Denverites view Denver public schools. The same kind of thing applies here with the Republican Party. This is a historic problem. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, in for George Brockler. When we come back... Retired General, Brigadier General Doug Slocum will offer insights on the war in Gaza. Stay with us.